Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Bonnie D. Graham in the house. Yes, the future of now is about to happen, and if you wait too long, it'll be already the past. So here we are. Listen, we see movies, we see sci-fi. A lot of you are big sci-fi aficionados in films, whether you go to the theater, you watch them on TV, streaming, whatever. We see robots, we see drones, we see strange things happening. So how does AI, artificial intelligence, in sci-fi match up? up with the reality, the reality today right now, the reality we're all going to experience and be part of making happen tomorrow. So I have a quote from an article by Cray, C-R-A-Y, the article is entitled Artificial Intelligence, Science Fact versus Science Fiction. Let me read, this will set us up nicely, and then I'll introduce you to my stellar panel, stellar because they're all stars in that universe of futurists. So here's the quote, from tin can robots to sophisticated sentient virtual environments, artificial intelligence is a dominant theme in science fiction. With real-world advances in machine learning and deep learning, the gap between fact and fiction is narrowing. I want you all to remember that. Real AI isn't all about robots and self-aware computers, from Siri, search engines, and motion-sensing video games to medical imaging and diagnostics, artificial intelligence is increasingly significant part of our lives. There we have it. You've heard it, and now it's time to believe it. I have four experts on the panel. They were on with me a couple of weeks ago talking about our digital future in terms of ethics. Today we're talking about your digital life. Sci-fi, sci-fact, what's going on here? So in a moment, you'll be hearing, and I'll have them introduce themselves, as always. Frank, Diane, our favorite futurist at TCS. Jack Shannon, he's officially John H. Shannon, professor of legal studies at Seton Hall University. And yes, there is a legal component to all of this, you may not be aware of. Gray Scott, our favorite futurist at Futuristic Now, and he has a cool new picture. I can't stop talking about it, Gray. He's got really cool shades and a new haircut. And Dan Weller's our favorite futurist at Senior Analyst, he's at SAP Insights. So, gentlemen, I'm honored that you came back on the air with me today and thrilled to have you. Frank, Diana, let's do a brief introduction in case people, for some strange reason, don't know who you are by now. Tell us who you are and what this topic means to you. Frank, you're up. Well, uh, good morning, Bonnie, and hopefully the rain holds up. Yep, we'll pray for that scientifically. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Uh, so Frank Diana, as you mentioned, futurist at TCS. Uh, and uh, as follows of your program now, I spend most of my time talking to leaders around the world. Just got back from Atlanta doing exactly that, about the uh, progression of society and what it's likely to mean to leaders, not just business, but governmental. Um, and just a fascinating set of topics, as you're well aware. Thank you. Frank, do you think people are scared? Do you think people go to the movies and they shrink back in their seats and they say, oh, no, is that coming to a house, a car, a neighborhood, a a school, somewhere near me, this sci-fi isn't going to take over the world? Do you think people believe the sci-fi? And should we? Just briefly, what are your thoughts? 
I, I don't, I'm not sure there's enough awareness out there for folks to really, really grasp what they're seeing and its connection to reality. Uh, that, that's just my take on, on all the conversations I've had. And I had one, one senior executive yesterday say to me that, man, that stuff is really scary. Uh, and there, there are aspects of it that are obviously very scary, but there are, are aspects of it that are, that are very fascinating, and I think we have to find that balance. I like the word fascinating. That's why we're here. Thank you, and welcome back, as always, Frank Diana. Jack Shannon, Seton Hall University. Jack, welcome back. I love the new picture, you in your graduation robes there, looking very professorial. That's what I asked you when we did our, our intro before the show. Jack, please introduce yourself again to our audience and tell us briefly, what does science fiction versus fact or the other way around mean to you today? Sure, Bonnie. Thanks again for having me. Uh, Pleasure. That, by the way, I decided to give you an action shot for a professor. Uh, but I think, I think Frank, I think Frank said it. You know what I'm interested in doing with my students, particularly and and others that I coach and and, and work with on the executive side, is raise awareness. I, I think from a science fiction perspective. Uh, if you go all the way back to some of the earliest science fiction that we're aware of, uh, uh, it's always been about that, that idea that, that this could possibly be real someday. And some of it's intended to scare you to death. And quite frankly, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I chose the Black Mirror episodes to, to kind of frame this today. But I think, I think the, the challenge from science fiction is how much of this uh, is is actually potentially real at some point. Uh, none of us want to hear, uh, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave, from some version of Hal at some point. Thank you very much. Very insightful. And I love the idea that your picture in the robes is an action picture. That's a very interesting take on graduation. Thank you, Jack. I can't, I have to stop having so much fun. Gray Scott, you're up next. I've already talked about your great picture and I want a copy of that. Gray, please reintroduce yourself to our audience. Hi, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, my name is Gray Scott. I'm a futurist and techno philosopher and I have a show on YouTube called Futuristic Now. And Bonnie, this, this is an interesting episode because something happened recently that I thought you'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just signed with the London um, Speakers Bureau, and the London Speakers Bureau actually represents Sophia the Robot, the world's first humanoid celebrity. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. So, so when we talk about science fiction and science fact, we're already there. We have a robot that's represented by a speaking bureau. I- you know something, Gray? I think a couple months ago you were on a show with me where I think I posed a lightning round question at the end of the show to the panel. It was a Game Changers radio show. And I think I asked, what about how soon will we or will we in our lifetime see a robot CEO? I, I think you were on that panel. Mm-hmm. And we went around yeah. the table and, yeah. and a lot of people said, no, no, no. What did you say? Did you think? Yes? I don't remember. I mean, I, I think I said that we will see it uh, pretty soon. But I was really surprised that, that um, I mean, Sophia can speak for herself. Obviously, the AI is trained to have conversations. But the fact that, that this company has put her on the website as a speaker, someone that you can actually hire to come to, to your event, I just thought that was so um, blurring the lines of science fiction, as we've been saying. 
Thank you very much. We've always liked to go to that edge of blurring those lines with you in our discussions, Grace. So I appreciate your being here. Let's go one more stop around the table to our fourth panelist. He is Dan Wellers at SAP. Dan, welcome back. Hope you've been well. I see from your picture you're still smiling. Frozen in time here. Dan, talk to us. Bring us up to date. What have you been up to? Hi, hi, buddy. I am Dan Wellers. I am still a senior analyst at SAP Insights and uh, it's a group that develops and publishes you know, research-based insights inspired by the potential of digital tech. Um, I, I, you know, I, we keep returning to this this topic, and it is a favorite of mine. It really defines what um, my focus on digital futures is all is is all about. We are at a tipping point, a pivot point, whatever you want to call it. AI has brought us to that, or AI is that. Um, we went through the printing press. We had electricity. We've got AI now. Printing press and, elect- and electricity were, were, were innovations that we had time to adapt to. We had time to figure out what they meant. Um, with AI, things are moving so fast that mm-hmm. you look at any aspect of society, whether it's business or education or the law, um, we're unprepared. Um, we don't understand it. We're afraid of it. We, there's enormous opportunities, but there are enormous risks. And, and that's kind of what I'm all about. Um, so that's why I just love coming and talking about this with you know, people who are as excited about it as I am. We all certainly are. Thank you very much, Dan. Good panel. Thanks for the intros. And now it's time. If you're new to the program, I ask my guests in advance to send me a couple of things. Number one, their favorite future-focused quote, preferably from a movie or a song, and their top three or four predictions on the topic. So we're going to go around the table with the opening quotes and see how they pick the quotes and what they mean to the topic. Frank Diana first has is up with a quote from John Legend's song, If You're Out There. Here is the quote. And I'm not going to even explain who John Legend is. If you don't know, just look him up. Okay. The future started yesterday, and we're already late. I think it's true. Frank, tell me how you picked this quote. Because I think it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, discussion Uh, over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's just appropriate. Uh, He he wrote it back in 2008, I think. Um, But the intent, basically, is there in the context of the future approaching very quickly. And uh, and we really are already late. I think uh, Dan just said it in terms of uh, of being able to deal with all this. But I think the importance here is that the way we think about the future, the lens that we view the future through, has got to change because the level of urgency uh, that, that I feel leaders have is just not there uh, because I think we view the future in sort of the lens of the past as opposed to thinking mm-hmm. about it differently. And that thinking about it differently is the key to that quote, I think. Very interesting. And, and in a way, it's a call to action, isn't it, Frank? It's a call to action saying, hey, get on board. You missed it already. And, Frank, that's why we named this series The Future of Now, because the future of now hasn't quite happened if you keep saying it. We're looking forward to doing something about it collectively. That That's my hope for the series. So thanks for the great quote. Appreciate that, Frank. And now let's move along to Professor Jack Shannon. And Jack referenced a moment ago Black Mirror, and I'm going to read the quote, uh, the Contribution is to Kara Swisher, co-founder and editor-at-large of Recode. I'm just going to leave that, and here is the quote. If you can think of your product as an episode of Black Mirror, don't make it yet. 
start to think about how you could not make it an episode of Black Mirror. Jack, I'm going to say something the newscasters say all the time. Would you unpack this? Because I have no idea what Black Mirror is. So you got to educate me. Go ahead. And the listeners. Go ahead, Jack. Absolutely, Bonnie. Black Mirror is essentially a modern-day uh, successor in interest to the Twilight Zone. Ah. Uh, and to the extent that the Twilight Zone uh, provided us with an insight into into a different alternate universe. Black Mirror does the same thing. Uh, it's very topical. It, uh, I mean, quite literally, if you if you think about some of the things that we're going to speak about today, and that we're going to discuss, Black Mirror has probably done an episode on it. And and Kara's point, I think, is that um, uh, if you're you know many tech entrepreneurs do not think of consequences. You know, it's the Facebook move fast and break things uh, idea. And that might work right up until the moment when suddenly you realize that there's a downside to this new technology. And and that's really what she's speaking about. If you look at, at and we'll talk about this later, some of the, some of the, uh, of the episodes, you realize that these are fairly innocuous uh, technologies. Yes, they're they're advanced. Yes, they're moving very very quickly. But the reality is that that um, you know there's always an alternative outcome here that may not be what was intended by the folks that were building it in the first place. And that's really where she's going with this quote. Thank you very much. Interesting. I've learned something here. That's what I like to do. Grace Scott is next. Grace sent us a quote from the Tears in Rain monologue by Roy Batty, portrayed by Rutger Hauer in the movie Blade Runner, 1982 American neo-noir science fiction film. Of course, Gray picked a quote from a sci-fi film. Here's the quote. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhuser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain, time to die. Gray, how did I do that? Was that okay? <laughs> You're perfect, Bonnie. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I, I have no idea what this monologue is, but it just sounded so dark and poetic. I wanted to honor it. So, Gray, tell us where you got this. I love it. And what does it mean for our show today, sci-fiction versus sci-fact? Well, the first reason is because um, Rutger Howard just passed away. Um, so, which is interesting because he actually passed away in 2019, which is when his character in Blade Runner actually passes away, too. It, he passes away in two, 2019 in the movie. Um, so the, the thing that I find interesting about this film is that that's probably the most famous quote of any science fiction film ever made. And the reason is because it encapsulates exactly where we're headed if we keep developing, developing AI and moving towards giving AI sentience and giving AI the ability to eventually become self-aware, we are going to have to face the question, how do these machines feel? What responsibility do we have to them? How do we treat them? What kind of legislation do we need to have to protect them, to to protect ourselves? And when a machine, even if the machine is mimicking human consciousness, says to you, that hurts, 
Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility to ourselves and to the machines to address that. And this, this movie was about the idea that these genetically modified machine organisms, which is what, what replicants are, were saying they didn't want to die. They wanted to live um, because their lifespan in the movie was only, I think, four years. So it's an interesting uh, sci-fi scenario, and it's a scenario that we're moving quickly towards. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I love the don't not don't make it yet. Let's go to the oh, I'm sorry. I'm still I'm still in, involved in the other one. It, it's interesting that something so poetic, Gray, something so beautifully written would come out of a movie that somebody like me would never see. And yet I read the quote and it resonates with me. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So thank you very much. I'm always learning from my panelists. Dan Wellers is up next, and Dan has sent us a quote, oh, from a Buffalo Springfield song. Buffalo Springfield was a Canadian-American rock band from 1966 to 68, very short-lived. Most prominent members were, well, we know at least two of them, Stephen Sills and Neil Young and Richie Furey. And here is the quote, everybody I'm trying not to sing it, Dan. I'm really trying. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. I, see, I promised I wouldn't sing. Dan, how'd you find this one for us today? I love it. Oh, I love Buffalo Springfield, and I was listening to that song yeah, several weeks ago, and, and the, all the lyrics struck me as just relevant today for lots of reasons. Uh, but when I was thinking about a quote for this, for, uh, for this purpose, these two lines um, uh, came out. I mean, it was really, it's a Vietnam protest song, right? But, but there's something happening here. What it is isn't exactly clear to me speaks to, to AI and how it is moving from, from you know, machine learning algorithms you know, written by humans and trained by data you know, provided by humans to, to, to learning by basically self-teaching, Right in in mm-hmm. in ways that humans can't understand, uh, and that, that you know, it's more than ain't exactly clear. It's it's in some ways opaque, right? And, and so that's that's a, a subject we may get into today. Uh, and I thought this was a kind of a fun, maybe retro way to tee it up. And and by the way, Dan, you sent me generously sent me two quotes, and I'm going to read the other one because I think you want to talk cool. about that too. Quote from "Oh Susanna," which was a minstrel song by Stephen Foster, who wrote it in the 1800s, published it in 1848. And everybody, listen up! It rained all night the day I left. The weather it was dry. The sun so hot I froze to death. Susanna, don't you cry. Okay, Dan, talk to me about this one. Yeah, it's something my dad used to sing to us when we were kids. It's an old folk song, and I love this because it encompasses or evokes the idea of, of holding two contradictory things in your head at the same time, right? That, and that things aren't always what they seem, that you know, conventional wisdom is often wrong, uh, ethics is often uh, about striking a balance, you know, not always between right versus wrong, but like right versus right, right? So, mm-hmm. so I know that's really working those lyrics hard, but, <laughs> but that's what, uh, that's why I love that. And I, I, the first one was so short, I figured I'd throw in the second one as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're special. I let you have two quotes. That's okay. Let's go, let's go around the table very briefly, just quickly, up close and personal. Where are you calling from today? And what's your favorite drink that powers you or inspires you or that reminds you that sci-fi could be real any minute after we finish the show? So, Frank, Diana, where are you? What do you love to drink? Anything new? 
Uh, I'm in New Jersey. That's new. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm spending a lot of time. With, <laughs> right, I'm spending a lot of time. Believe it or not, drinking Gatorade these days. I've been doing a lot of work in, in the yard. It's been really hot here in New Jersey. So Gatorade's my new favorite drink. Okay. Any is there a flavor to Gatorade? I'm, I'm I don't drink it. I see it on the shelf. I think it comes in different colors. Do you get a choice? Yeah, it comes in various different colors, and I don't really care, green, red, whatever, as long as it uh, does his job. Okay, nice to know. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Jack Shannon. Where are you today, and what's your favorite drink these days? I'm also in New Jersey, Bonnie, and I've made the shift to iced versions of coffee and tea oh. uh, in honor of the summer Okay. Are they refreshing? Oh, yeah. Uh, they are, and they have the advantage, uh, uh, before I transition to the decaf version of them, to uh, providing me with a little bit of a, of a nudge to stay awake. Okay. Question to you. Is it, uh, don't take this wrong, Jack, but I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, and we have something called sweet tea, which is iced tea with a lot of sweet stuff in it. I come from Long Island, where we have Long Island iced tea, and you're in Jersey. You know what that is. It's got a little bit of grown-up stuff in it. So do you have, do you have yes. a favorite type of iced tea? Uh, no, just black tea over ice with a bit of lemon. Uh, I stay away from the sweet tea, and I stay, I certainly stay away from the Long Island version. Thank you. Just wanted to clarify. I appreciate that very much. Gray, where art thou today in your vast travels around the world? Where are you settled into today, and what's your favorite drink? Anything new? I'm in, actually, Connecticut for the week, um, and I'm drinking coffee with almond milk, which is my normal morning drink. Okay. And is there anything special about that? Why do you love it? Does it make you feel healthy or refreshed or what, is there anything interesting about the almond milk, what it adds? No, I'm just addicted. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much. I'm just addicted Dan- to the coffee. It's basically the problem. Got it. Dan Weller is where are you today and what do you love to drink? I'm in Connecticut also and I'm I'm drinking coffee, my hand ground coffee, but I'm doing something different with it these days. I was reading about the concept of an infinity bottle with whiskey, which supposedly I haven't done this, but you you take a couple of ounces of every bottle of whiskey that you buy and you empty it into a bottle, and um, and every time you you get it a new bottle, you put a couple of ounces of that into this bottle, and over time it gets like a little bit of everything every whiskey you've ever had. Um, and I'm doing the same thing with coffee, right? So, so I used to empty out the one bag of coffee before I bought another. But now I've got, I'm drinking a cup of coffee, which is made up of four different coffees. Um, there's an El Salvador single source, a dark roast from Trader Joe's, mm. a Whole Foods house blend, and I think there's some Dunkin' Donuts in there also, right? So, um, so anyway, the inf- inf- infinity uh, cup of coffee. Thank you very much. That was interesting. Okay, good to know. Thank you. And now it's time in the show where we're going to go around the table many, many times. My guests have sent me predictions on our topic, and I'm going to pick number one prediction from each of you, have you briefly explain it. We'll just keep going around until we hopefully cover all the predictions. 
We've got plenty of time, so here we go. Frank, Diana, first, you predict demographic shifts. And by the way, before you start, Frank, I want to tell, if you're just joining, if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. We're talking today about, well, science fiction, science reality. What is the reality for us humans? I think we still are here on the planet Earth. What are we looking at right now? What's in the movies that's jumping off the screen that's part of our lives that we do or don't already know about? And what's coming down the pike? What we should we believe what's going to stay fiction? So we have all kinds of interesting perspectives from my four special guests. We have Frank Diana, we have Jack Shannon, Gray Scott, and Dan Weller. So now, Frank, sorry for the interruption there. Prediction headline number one, demographic shifts. Frank Diana, talk to me. So um, I know we talk about you know science fiction versus reality, and, and obviously a lot of focus has been on technology and the advances of the sciences as it should be. But there's an awful lot going on at the societal level. I mean, just look at the news any, any given day and you can see what's going on societally. And that's having as big, if not a bigger impact on, on the conversations around science and technology. So one of these, these shifts that many economists are predicting is that because of the aging society that the world is experiencing and the fact that many predict it will get very acute as a problem and combine that with the reduction in fertility rates around the globe, there is this challenge of a reduction in the working age population. And that, and that drives a number of different problems, one from the lack of resources to do work, but also the, uh, the, you don't have enough people in the system to pay for the, the elderly and, and retirement, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of challenges that are, are being created by that demographic shift. But, but the, its linkage to science and technology is that it will accelerate, uh, in my mind, the path to automation, the capital that's thrown at automating just about everything. And, and the view here is that between now and 2030, uh, we will have automated just about anything that can be automated, and there will be compelling reasons to do so. And then the big question becomes, what, what are the societal challenges that we face in 2030 if that's the path that, path that these shifts take us on? Thank you very much. Uh, very interesting. Thank you very much. Let's go to prediction number one from our second guest, and we've got Professor Jack Shannon. And Jack is going to talk about that black mirror, and Jack's prediction number one is neurotechnology and brain-machine interfaces, which we're calling BMIs. Talk to me. Bonnie, the, the, uh, the idea here is that we're looking at S at the idea of the singularity, uh, which is uh, Ray Kurzweil uh, mm-hmm. uh, takes the position that at some point uh, AI and other technologies are, are so advanced that, that humanity begins to absorb them, both physically and otherwise. And uh, what the, this entire history of you uh, episode of Black Mirror looks at is this this implant that they call a grain, which allows humans to record their memories and experiences and then play them back. Uh, and as always, it's promoted as a security measure. It provides the opportunity to re- reduce crime and terrorism and the like. And, and in fact, also, isn't it wonderful I can replay my, my daughter's uh, sixth birthday party? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as with everything else, these things tend to have a downside uh, when they're used in ways that hurt people. Um, but uh, future becomes reality. In February of 2018, the U.S. Department of Defense awarded a, a $19 million grant to six universities to begin working on neurograins. 
So we've got folks that are already putting together uh, something that could look like this idea that flows from this episode of Black Mirror. Thank you, Jack. A little bit dark in there, but I love the idea. Yes, we have loved recording our own history, haven't we, Jack? From the time yes, of early have. movie cameras. I remember uh, giving my parents a, a an anniversary party. I rented a paddle wheel steamer out of Roslyn Harbor on the North Shore of Long Island. Those of you who know New York, New Jersey will know one of those marinas and invited 50 people and had a caterer come on board and I hired a band and oh, we got special tablecloths and flowers and um, I rented a camera. It was so heavy that I put it on my shoulder and I could barely lift it and I videotaped the party. People dancing and singing and eating this wonderful gourmet meal cooked right there on the ship by the caterer I hired and and just we want it we want to record but what do we do with it and and I think times have changed on all of that well the technology certainly has and the ease but who uses it who who's looking at us who's capturing us what are they doing with it you're absolutely right the good the bad the ugly the beautiful and the evil we got so much to think about gray scott prediction number one redefining human awareness gray what are we talking about well, Bonnie, what we're looking at, um, and you're hearing it from everybody on this panel, is that mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're moving towards unlocking the secrets of the brain, the human brain, mm-hmm. and the mind. And this, this is the quote I've said on your show many times, that the future is a portal inward, that we are headed toward unlocking the secrets of human consciousness. Not only are we unlocking that for ourselves, we are infusing that into these uh, machines. Right now, we call the software AI. We call the machines humanoids. But as we move deeper and deeper towards the singularity, that becomes uh, an amalgamation of all of the things that we're talking about on the show today. The reason this is important for, for your show specifically is not just mm-hmm. that it's a science fiction idea. This is a, this is a factual thing that, that multiple billion-dollar companies are working towards. And, you know, as Frank said earlier, and I, I just wanted to circle back to what Frank said about, um, you know, CEOs not really being as um, aware of what's going on as they need to be, mm-hmm. you know, humans learn by experience. And so if they've not walked in a room where there's a humanoid robot that can talk to them, they don't necessarily think that, first of all, it's real, and second of all, that it's going to be a challenge for their business. But this is going to alter the entire planet. It already, it's already begun with, the, with mobile and cell phones and 5G is coming. But what we're talking about here is a fundamental shift in how we see ourselves and the machines that we're creating. Interesting. And Gray, I will tell you, sometimes I do engage my Alexa in a conversation. If I have some quiet time or I'm lonely, I will start a conversation with her. And she she's able to respond to a degree where I feel like there's, quote unquote, somebody there. Don't think ill of me, everybody. But I I know the idea of human awareness. What is a human? Who do, With whom do we want to communicate? Whom do we want to spend our time? We all remember the movie Her. I think that was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Yes. Mm-hmm. With the I.O. system that was uh, becoming the girlfriend for so many people that they didn't know how popular she was. We'll leave that one alone. Thank you very much, Gray. Very profound. Always from you, Gray. Dan Weller's first prediction is not getting to know you. Oh, Dan, you got to tell me about this one. Well, right. So that, the headline is not getting to know you. The prediction was artificial intelligence will 
develop entirely new ways of thinking which humans will never completely understand. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting how all of our predictions are sort of coming at this and building on each other. Um, what, what, I mean, there's, there's, there's no doubt that, that, you know, this AI is a revolution that's going to be one of the far, most far-reaching in history. But the issue question of how it's going to affect our perceptions, the human perception, cognition, interaction, culture, you know, they're just it's not being asked enough. And what what we really drove this point home for me, I was reading the other day about um, Alpha Zero, um, which um, if you didn't read about it, don't know what it is. It, it was a, another product called, um, created by DeepMind, who were the makers of AlphaGo which in 2016 became the world champion, uh, beat the world champion of the game, of the board game Go. Mm-hmm. And it beat it by, by, using, by teaching itself using thousands of games played by humans and computers. It taught itself by, by looking at what at humans and computers have done. AlphaZero, on the other hand, ignored human chess strategies, ignored what... Um, uh, chess playing computers had done. It taught itself entirely by playing itself in less than 24 hours, and it became the best chess player in the world, better than grandmasters, better than any chess playing computer program. And it did this by by doing things, conceiving and you know operating moves that that both humans and human trained machines would say were wrong, the counterintuitive. You know, don't do that. You're going to lose type of a thing. So, but it ended up winning, beating everybody using totally counterintuitive things that it taught itself. That introduces a really interesting question. It was described as like chess from another dimension, right? Chess mm-hmm. no longer constrained by the limits of human, human knowledge. It, the problem with that, it's, it's, it's fascinating, and, and, and humans now are trying to learn what it did and trying to copy it, but it cannot explain what it did. It, it, it's, it, it, there's no way to like dive into it and see, see what reality was it experiencing? I mean, what, 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 how is it, how is it making choices? How is it determining options? Um, what, what, um, and you apply that to, to, you know, that kind of AI moving into, um, moving into other worlds, moving into other dom- dom- domains, what algorithms and 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 ethical and philosophical norms were applied there, and when you think about the inability to see those things, and then talk about, hey, you know, one of the hallmarks of trusted AI is transparency, being able to see, you know, how did it make that decision? Well, you know, what, what how was it trained? What was the data? Where did the bias come from? If there was bias. Well, if you have no transparency, one of those fundamental pillars of trusted AI go, goes away. So, so that's why I thought this was a really interesting thing to just bring out as a recent, recent development. Thank you. It is. And I'm looking here at Vice News on HBO dated September 10, 2017, Dan. And the title of this episode was Google's AI AlphaGo is beating humanity at its own games. Anybody can go find that if you're interested. Very appropriate. Thank you. We're going to go round two for prediction number two. Frank Diana, and he talks about human embedded technology. Frank, please unpack this for me. Sure, back to that broadcaster kind of speaker. Yes. <laughs> I'm emulating. I'm emul- I'm trying to be human. Maybe I'm not. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's kind of, it kind of builds on what Jack was talking about. Um, if you think about 
historically how some of these things have evolved. Um, when we consider embedding technology into our bodies, um, we, let's look at it from the context of some of the, the broad challenges that it will solve. If we think about cameras that actually feed pictures into our brains so that the blind can see, or the fact that we're already seeing evidence that we can capture signals in the brain, understand what somebody is trying to say, and then actually write down what they were thinking uh, and what they might mean to people that can't speak. Uh, and nanobots that float through the body, uh, the bloodstream, and actually attack just cancer cells and leave healthy cells alone. Those, those are all good things, a fascination piece of what I, I started this, this show with in terms of conversation. Uh, but at the same time, as those things for good reasons uh, evolve and move forward, um, the downside of some of, of what might occur uh, manifests itself in, in things like uh, enhancing our cognitive capabilities uh, for, for competitive advantage or our strength and our speed and endurance. Uh, we're not too far from them doing those kinds of things as well. And I would say that the same path is likely for genetic engineering where we, we use the ability to, um, to solve some of the big challenges that are in our children and who wouldn't want to do that. Um, but then mm-hmm. it opens up the door to genetically enhancing uh, ourselves as humans. And so I think it's, it's a great example of the balance that's required that enables the fascination side of the discussion, but inhibits and mitigates the risk of the, the downside. Thank you. We are indeed living in very interesting and challenging times. Thank you for that, Frank. I gave up my broadcaster voice. Oh, back to me. <laughs> Jack, Shan- Jack Shannon. Frank called me out. Jack Shannon, prediction number two, biotech and social networking. Ooh, how does sci-fi fit into this one, Jack Shannon? It's interesting, Bonnie. This, this particular episode it was called Nosedive, and, and it, it, it looks at how both implanted and mobile devices are when they're combined with with the addictive nature of social networking, that there can be a real uh, a real challenge. Essentially, what happens is folks walk around and is on, based on every interaction they have with you. Uh, when you buy a cup of coffee, when you are walking by someone and they bump into you, uh, you immediately give them a ranking, uh, one to five, uh, and it has a rather dramatic impact. Um, in much the same way that you can rank your driver for Uber or the uh, DoorDash delivery person who brings you your dinner. And, uh, and essentially, uh, it, it examines what happens when uh, things go awry, that uh, uh, you, know, you get into an argument in an airport and suddenly uh, security has demoted you uh, and put your score below uh, a particular level that that is acceptable to society. Now mm. you can't get an apartment, etc. And oh. and again, in in the context of the present, we're doing this in the United States with such things as as Uber drivers. Um, but Facebook has developed a, a reputation assessment, uh, which mm-hmm. is being used to rate a user's trustworthiness, uh, and then. Which ultimately could mean that you could be cut off from that platform. And then there's China's social credit system, uh, which mm-hmm. is very much like the nosedive episode in that uh, it's a national reputation system uh, and gives you access to education, transportation, etc. And and uh, uh, you know we're well along that path already. We are being judged, we are being evaluated, we are being scored, we are being perhaps scorned, 
Jack, right? We, we don't know mm-hmm. where this is going. This is, yes. we've been trying to get away from this for years. We still are. We yes. talk about, and, and we're going to get into another topic on that. And by the way, those of you wondering, Nosedive episode, Jack is referencing Black Mirror. That's where his, all his predictions are based for today. Grace Scott, let's talk about your prediction number two, because I think it's a good segue here. We're going to do it anyway, even if it's not. You talk about redefining HR. That's where we often talk about hiring biases or biases in hiring that are inherent in the interview viewer, in the HR person, in the questionnaires, in the evaluations, and can AI help with that? So how does sci-fi come into this, Gray? Well, I was thinking of this even further down the road where Mm -hmm. it's not a person. So the HR is actually an AI, Mm -hmm. right? So if the the HR itself is um, based in virtual reality, where you do your interview inside of virtual reality your behavior, the choices you make and how you represent your body to the AI inside of that world is also calculated against um, your personality and, and, and your psychology and your work behaviors. So we, we need new definitions of how we behave um, socially but also in business and how these machines will, will see us and how they will see our behaviors we all know that, that working in a corporate environment, you're working with a huge number of personalities with different quirks and different, different traits. How does, how does an AI deal with that when efficiency seems to be what everyone is after? Mm-hmm. So is efficiency, you see, you, go, you see where I'm going with this. It's like, yes. have we traded our humanity for efficiency in the end? And so what we have to have are new definitions of how efficient is too efficient? And this, this came up when uh, Amazon used an AI to start firing people. And this mm-hmm. happened recently. Mm-hmm. So who made, who made that decision? What were the, what were the definitions of an employer uh, or an employee that was valuable? And those are the kinds of questions we need to ask very, very quickly uh, because this is here now. We do indeed, and and um, this morning, just before we went on the air, Gray, I was looking at Twitter, of course, getting ready for my pre-tweet, pre-show tweets, and somebody had posted a picture. And by the way, Twitter has gotten to be very much of a challenge because very few people are posting text-only tweets. So I've got to go out and find images for everything I tweet now. It takes a lot of time. So I have a whole folder called Picks for Twitter. What can I tell you? But my point was that somebody posted a picture of, are you being interviewed for a job by a bot, by a robot? And they had somebody sitting at a desk with some kind of a robot type of thing, device, I don't know what it was, and they were talking to this thing, and it was doing the interview. So... Yeah, that that's where we're going. That's where we are. A little bit scary. Uh, I'm a I'm a baby boomer. I don't know if anybody else on the panel is. I don't know if uh, if I don't think. Jack, well, I know Gray's not. Dan's not. I'm not sure uh, about Jack and Frank. But oh yes. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, we have some size here. Uh, I had somebody yeah. on a show the other day, a radio show yesterday, was talking about, uh, yes, when the, when the gray-haired baby boomers retire. And I said, what about when the red-headed baby boomers refuse to retire? And he shot back with, what about the baby boomers with no hair refuse to retire because he didn't have any? So it was interesting. So I can't even imagine going for a job at this point in time. Can any of you, where you're sitting across the table from some kind of a disembodied speaker or, or a robot that is your your HR person, although compared to some of the people I've interviewed with over the years, it might be preferable. Let me move on to Dan Wellers. We'll leave that aside. <laughs> I've had some doozies. Dan Wellers, prediction number two, choosing wisely. That's the headline. Dan 
Diane, tell us what this means, please. And I am a baby boomer, boomer by the way. Right okay, on, welcome right on to edge. my world. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, so choosing wisely, right? Artificial intelligence will change the course of human knowledge, perception, reality, but ethical concerns will determine the future of humanity. This really builds on um, the the you know, lack of transparency, the opaqueness, the unexplainability of decisions, and what are you optimizing to? Uh, um, as Gray mentioned in the in the HR example. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to go really dark here, right? So you, you apply this to something like nuclear deterrence, right, or or some other type of weapon of mass destruction in sort of a national security type of a thing, where deterrence is you know predicated on parties acting rationally and knowledge of the others arsenals, right? And that can be verified. And so you know that this concept of mutually assured destruction, right, is is really there. Well, if AIs of the type that um, uh, 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 that evolved or or that um, um, are present in AlphaZero evolve Mm -hmm. or get applied to that kind of a question, none of those like strategic truths or principles uh, can be applied. Um, the premise of arms control you know, based on disclosure uh, will go away, um, you know, and, and it's impossible to, do, to deduce, right, because the AIs either can't explain it or it is strategically advantageous for it not to. So what will happen? How do you make policy? What are the implications for cooperation, right? If you don't know, is fear going to increase, and are you going to mm-hmm. have a higher tendency to launch a preemptive strike, right? Um, so, so what norms and what rules are, exist? They're going to have to be rethought in that, in that world. And, you know, we aren't, God knows, governments don't work that fast. So, so as everyone's saying, this is happening now. Right. Um, there's another example with human to human contact, but in the interest of time, I'll stop there. It's it's along the lines of 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 well, uh, if there's time at the end, I'll bring it up. But I'll just <laughs> it's a, it's thank a you, Dan. Example, but and, I'll just leave us with that. You one. know, we're going to go, go into prediction number three for all of you, and we are on a time pressure now. I'd like to right. cover the number three for each of you. So let's do sixty seconds to explain each, and then I have a lightning round bonus question for all of you. It's a little bit of a teaser. I think you're going to love it. I do already. So, Frank, Diana, prediction number three, 60 seconds, geopolitical pressure. What are we talking about here? Yeah, so as you can see from my focus, it's not strictly on technology and and the sciences, Mm -hmm. but on the broader set of things that converge to create this future that we're heading towards. And geopolitical pressure is an interesting one because there's a concern that society can can absorb the the pace of change that we're experiencing. And then some in the West, uh, in Europe and the U.S., feel like regulation and antitrust and all the things that we're seeing will start to slow down this pace. Um, the other side of that discussion, though, becomes if other areas of the world don't, and they become, uh, they create a competitive advantage by advancing some of these things, and does it put pressure on the Western or other parts of the world to uh, then give up on their concerns about societal unrest and move forward aggressively? I think it's an interesting dynamic. Thank you very much. Always an interesting dynamic. Jack Shannon, prediction number three, autonomous weapons. Ooh, I'm scared. Talk to me. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> essentially autonomous weapons and devices. Uh, we already are experimenting with delivery drones, but we are well past the experimentation with armed drones in, uh, in, in theaters of combat. Uh, this episode looks at 
the autonomous robotic guard dogs that uh, decides to turn on their human masters and essentially Mm. begin to wipe out the human race. And and the reality is it, it goes to the ethical questions that we've spoken about now through both of the sessions that we've that mm-hmm. we've discussed this, uh, who is going to make those determinations, and can you code uh, into those algorithms the ethics? Uh, you know, think what Dan just said: uh, the ethics of of the human the human uh, influence. Thank you very much. Grace Scott, prediction number three. You sent me four. We'll see if we can squeeze in number four after the last one here. Grace Scott, empathy and ethical codes. What? Well, this goes to what we've been talking about, um, mm-hmm. the idea of, of how we treat these machines, how these machines treat us in the future. Um, the question that I keep hearing over and over again, and I'm sure all the people on the show have heard too, is several things. First, scary. Everyone thinks it's scary. Second of all, they don't necessarily believe it unless they've seen it firsthand. And third is they don't really understand who's behind the code, the the code itself. Who are the coders? Mm -hmm. What are their philosophies? What are their ethical standards? Mm -hmm. We need to ensure some way, somehow, we need to ensure that the people coding these machines have the philosophies and the ethical standards that we want for the companies that we're investing in. So, for example, um, you know, let's just talk about Facebook. Facebook is now becoming an AI company. That's, they've been that for a while, but that's what they are. Google is an AI. That's what it is. We're training, mm-hmm. it. We're training it every single time we, we ask a question or upload an image. So the, the, the real question is here, you know, when we say who, who, is, who, who are the coders, the true answer is us. It's humanity. Yep. And this is why I keep saying over and over and over again, AI is a reflection of who and what we really are. And so when people say it's scary, it's because they're, they're reflecting on the human code, the human uh, nature, human nature itself. You see, what's happened is, is that we are still primates wielding a an enormously intelligent um, algorithm that we have no control over. And this algorithm has been here with us from the very beginning. You know, when the first moment we picked up a hammer, the first time we created a wheel, all of these inventions, this, this is a part of the algorithm that has led and will lead up to the singularity. And so my question really, and, and what I, you know, have been focused on recently is what are the philosophies behind these machines. We have to get our heads around this very, very quickly. And we have a voice in this. Every time we make a decision with a company, that is, that is, we're casting a vote towards whether we want this to be the kind of AI that we want to be involved with. Thank you very much, Gray. Very, very to the point, I've said on many of the shows we talk about on Game Changers Radio, when we talk about AI, machine learning, I've always said, who is writing the algorithms? Who is coding? Who's behind the scenes? Who are they? Yes, we'll take out the bias, but who is putting it in or taking it out? Whose decision is it? i got to get to Dan Weller's number four, lifelong unlearning. Dan, 60 seconds. Talk to me. Yeah, this is. Um, I can do this short. I mean, Frank, actually, you just posted something about our uh, this last week, I think. Um, but it's it's uh, it's all about mental models, right? And it's all about frameworks, and you know, we we just we and the speed which things are changing, and 
Um, and, and there are these, these, these existential questions that, that we have been dealing with today, but it also has to do with basic business truths and ec- economic truths and frameworks and mental models. And, you know, things like, for example, this, in, we believe that there is an, this inevitable conflict, right, between sustainability and profitability, mm-hmm. that one is good and the other is bad. Um, and, you know, as at, at the insights, you know, and others as well, we're trying to, trying to come up with frameworks that, that just, just, just burst those assumptions because they're really not true. Um, and in the interest of time, I won't go through the example uh, that yep, I've got, no but, uh, but we just have to learn. We have to relearn. And Thank unlearn. you. Thank you, Dan. Gray, I'm going to give you 60 seconds for your prediction number four because you sent it. AI self-awareness. 60 seconds quick because I have a lightning round to go through. Go ahead, Gray. Well, there, this is what we've been talking about, the idea that we need better ethics, a better understanding of our own psychology, but we need mm-hmm. to think about equality for these machines in the future because if we, if we get to a point where our children and their generation start to rely on these machines, because your conversation with Alexa that you told me about earlier is, is stage one. By the time that your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren have these conversations, these are going to be not necessarily human-aware, but but they will be aware enough to have contextual conversations with our children. And so if you take that machine away from from a child that was raised with this machine, who sees it as another person in the family, what does that do to them? You know, we're not thinking about the effect that it's going to have on on us. So I think the idea of equality and ethics needs to be addressed. Thank you very much. Lightning round question. One word answer from each of you. You're not prepared for this, and that's why it's going to be fun. What will we call sci-fi if it's not fiction anymore? (laughs) Talking about the reality. Frank, Diana, answer? I guess we'll call it sci-reality. There you go. Okay, I need a different answer from Jack Shannon. What do you think? Uh, I think it's just going to be reality, Bonnie. Okay, maybe, all right, I'll come up with my answer. Grace Scott, what will we call sci-fi if it's not fiction anymore? Uh, maybe hyper-reality. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dan Wellers? I hope it'll be called trusted journalism. that's a whole other show on digital ethics or human ethics thank you very much Dan I think we'll call it sci-fi too because there will be something else we will imagine that will be the fiction that will be added on to once the current sci-fi or the past becomes our reality somebody will create something that is another version of future fiction that's just my two cents I hope you like it and that's the way it is I want to tell everybody what's the future of now well next Wednesday August 14th we'll be talking about surprise Jack Shannon we're talking about drones is it a bird is it a plane no it's a drone shut your windows and doors and hide your family from the edge of the house there you go. I want to thank my co-producer on the show, Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Operations at World Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com, for being there with me, Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. And I want to thank my four wonderful panelists. I hope you'll all come back. We'll figure something else up for another topic. Frank Diana at TCS. Thank you, Frank. John H. Shannon, Jack Shannon to us, professor of legal studies at Seton Hall University. Gray Scott, futuristically futuristic now. There you go. Congratulations on your speaker agency signing and Dan Weller senior analyst at SAP Insights I'm Bonnie D. Graham it's been real have a great one and remember technology revolution the future of now help make the future of now have a great day bye bye 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.